So we don't have a shutdown yet. On today's episode, we figure out how Congress avoided it, whether they can do it again next month, and why you might see a whole lot of legislation make it to the president's desk before the end of this year. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So at the end of the day on Friday, it seemed like a near certainty that we'd have a full government shutdown and maybe even a long one at that. But today, Tuesday, October 3rd, federal agencies are up and running. What happened? How did Congress manage to pass the stopgap spending bill known as a continuing resolution, or CR, when no one thought it would or even could? For months now, Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick has been following the state of government funding, or what the folks up on Capitol Hill call appropriations. Now, the way appropriations are supposed to work is that Congress passes 12 separate bills that, combine contain annual funding for every federal agency. But as was just demonstrated this weekend, the process rarely ever goes like this. On Tuesday morning, I trekked over to the marble halls of Capitol Hill to talk to Jack about what went down and about all the legislative deadlines coming up that could serve as vehicles for, well, you name it. And I met Jack right in the middle of where everything went down. First off, uh, tell me a little bit about where we are and tell me about uh, what's on the other side of this wall. On the other side of this wall is the House chamber where they successfully voted to not have a shutdown and fund the government through November 17th. They are going to have plenty of other votes because that stopgap measure does not answer all the numerous questions about how to actually fund the government for the rest of the fiscal year. So that chamber is where they will struggle to vote on some tricky issues. They've, they failed to pass their agriculture funding bill. Uh, they may succeed in other ones, but the, the House chamber is going to be a pretty chaotic place. And we'll see how quickly they can work through their spending bills now that there is going to be a vote on a motion to vacate. And this is all interrupted by a, a fight over the destiny of the Speaker of the House. That was a lot you just laid uh, on the table there. We're going to get into all of that, the motion to vacate, the agriculture bill, all kinds of other things. But um, as you mentioned, they voted to uh, avoid a shutdown. For the folks who, uh, you know, just were all on the same page, uh, let's just catch us up on what happened over the weekend. Uh, what did they pass? What was in the bill and what was not in the bill? They passed a stopgap measure um, almost miraculously. Uh, a, a lot of members expected there to be a shutdown. And the big news was there's not a shutdown, at least not yet. It funds the government through November 17th. There were some other authorization measures they needed to address. The National Flood Insurance Program was going to expire. They continued that authorization through November 17th. The FAA reauthorization needed to happen. They extended that through December 31st. Um, so they essentially kept the necessities going. They provided $16 billion in disaster aid. They did not include aid to Ukraine, which is going to be a fight, uh, but they staved off the possibility of a shutdown and a lapse in several authorizations and set up deadlines for November 17th and December 31st, where they have to do the real work. And before we get into everything else, let's talk about that date, November 17th. Um, that seems to be coincidentally after the uh, state level elections in the state of Virginia, where there are a lot of federal workers. It seems like this uh, date that this is happening after these elections 
really benefits the Republican governor of that state, Glenn Youngkin, who's really hoping to make gains in the state house. Is that a conspiracy theory? Am I just reading way too much into that, that they made November 17th the date? Or did the upcoming elections in Virginia and other states play into that decision? That is a good point. It's not a conspiracy theory that I've heard here. And that is a, a good point because uh, a shutdown is a, a very uh, shaky thing for people running in the state of Virginia. but. When I talk to lawmakers, they tend to be more concerned with their own personal schedules. And the fact that there is a deadline shortly before Thanksgiving may add pressure to the negotiations. All right, so we've maybe got a little bit of Virginia politics, maybe a little bit of Thanksgiving politics. We'll put that aside for now. Let's talk about who won this fight. Uh, and I'm using uh, one in quotation marks here. Let's start off with three broad factions here. The hard right, um, right-wing House members who were sort of, some would say, pushing, maybe spoiling for a shutdown, what did they get out of this? What were they hoping to accomplish and what did they accomplish with this? They got one thing, I think. They shifted the House Republican Conference's stance against Ukraine aid. Over the last week or so, we saw the House Republican position shift towards clearly opposing, at least without conditions, further aid to Ukraine. And that's a pretty big shift. Um, but I have to imagine that the House Republicans on the, the right um, weren't you know, threatening a shutdown just to do that and that by itself. I mean, it seems like they weren't able to accomplish a lot of the other things they wanted to do. Yeah, big picture, the hardline conservatives lost this one. The, the Ukraine stuff was the one exception, and that is sort of an internal political exception because there could still be further aid sent to Ukraine. There's plenty of bipartisan support for it. They wanted very conservative border measures, including border wall funding, asylum restrictions, E-Verify requirements to be attached to a stopgap measure. Nothing on that was attached to a stopgap measure. And the fact that they failed to get it onto that may not bode well for the conservatives who want it to pass in some capacity in the future. They wanted steeper spending cuts, and they had versions of a stopgap that would cut roughly 30% from non-defense spending. Uh, that was not put into the stopgap. They can continue to try to get wins through the normal appropriations bills, but this was a pretty clean stopgap, and it did not give conservatives any of the major policy concessions that they wanted. Now let's move on to the Democrats, uh, Democrats in the House, Democrats in the Senate who are in the leadership, and the Democrat in the White House, Joseph R. Biden Jr. What did they get out of this? Uh, it seems like, on the one hand, they were able to stave off a lot of what you just mentioned, but, I mean, they were not able to get funding for Ukraine, which, especially for the White House, had to have been a big priority. Do you think the, the Democrats won, again in quotes, uh, this confrontation or not? It's hard to say anybody really won this in a very political sense not focused on big policy wins, you could say the Democrats won. They showed the Republicans how badly GOP leadership needed Democratic support when it came to a must-pass bill. They managed to avoid a shutdown. Uh, they put up more votes in favor for the CR than the Republicans did. So they managed to send a message to Speaker McCarthy but aside from avoiding a shutdown and getting disaster aid, which was a bipartisan concern, there really weren't big policy wins for anyone in particular here. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I wanted to save the, the most, what I think is the most interesting for last, which is Speaker McCarthy himself. Um, you mentioned uh, a motion to vacate. For the non-political junkies out there, that means that there is a motion to remove uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. He clearly did see this coming uh, when he decided to rely on Democratic votes to fund the government. You even heard comments in the lead up to that when it wasn't going well. At one point, Garrett Graves, uh, an ally of Speaker McCarthy, essentially said, bring it on. If you want to have the vote, we can have the vote. So they saw it coming, but the exact political calculus is pretty unclear right now. So let's now move from the politics to the policy and talk about what any appropriations bills that come out of Congress, again, if any, uh, may look like. Uh, you know, the House has passed a few appropriations bills so far, but not all of them. Are we going to see, you know, the House try to pass all 12 appropriations bills that would fund the entire federal government? Or do you think that there will be some bills that just never get passed at all? The goal stated by all the Republicans, essentially, is they're going to try to do all 12, not only all 12, but all 12 individually to fund the government. That is unlikely, first of all, because they already failed on one. They would have to go back and figure out what to do with the agriculture and FDA funding bill if they were going to pass each one individually. Also, the timing is very difficult. November 17th is not that far away. They've passed four of the 12 bills and failed on one. There's an interruption because of the vote on the motion to vacate. There may be an interruption because some members want to go to Senator Dianne Feinstein's funeral in California on Thursday. They also haven't marked up two of their spending bills, and they don't believe logistically they can mark those bills up in committee and vote on the floor on other spending bills. So there's all sorts of interruptions that make it unlikely that they can do all 12. Or, I mean, the other option, of course, is that we just have another CR and we just move the deadline a little bit further. It seems like that is also a very, very likely option, right? Yes. Usually this drags on into late December, sometimes much longer, March, May. This is an unusually unproductive year in the House in terms of passing these appropriations bills. Four bills passed is less than I've ever seen covering it. Usually they get at least six, if not more. Uh, so the chances of making a lot of headway and avoiding further stop gaps seem pretty slim. And in the past, not very recently, but in the past, there have been years when they've done a full year continuing resolution because they just can't reach a real funding deal. I don't think we can rule that out at this point. And then uh, very briefly, you know, let's talk about some of the other deadlines that are coming up. And, you know, one of the reasons why deadlines are so important and why we talk about them so much is because this is how things get passed on, on Capitol Hill now. It's really, really hard to pass anything if there's not a looming deadline and a quote unquote must pass bill. So let's talk about, uh, first off, you mentioned the FAA bill that has been pushed back to December 31st. That's a bill that reauthorizes the FAA to operate. Uh, what else is there aside from that? So the November 17th deadline and the December 31st deadline gives them a lot to do. You've got to fund the government again by November 17th. They set the National Flood Insurance Program authorization for November 17th. December 31st is the FAA authorization, and there were already a series of deadlines set in the last farm bill 
uh, on December 31st, which had a staggered series of deadlines. They funded SNAP, also known as food stamps, which was a September 30th deadline set in the Farm Bill. But there are a variety of other farm aid deadlines set for December 31st uh, for them to at least make headway on the Farm Bill and maybe do a temporary authorization extension. So they've got a lot of Farm Bill work as well as the FAA extension by December 31st after they managed to fund the government on November 17th. And the reason why we're talking about this and why it's so important to give people an idea of what to expect is that there will probably be a lot of riders on those bills. And, you know, when I say riders, I mean whole other pieces of legislation that are just tacked onto these lead pieces of legislation and move forward. So if there's sort of a pet piece of legislation that you're watching, this is where they could move, right? Yes, those are the two main trains that are leaving the station in a legislative sense in Congress on the November 17th and December 31st deadlines. Uh, we can't even predict how many lawmakers will want to attach some piece of legislation to a must-pass funding bill or to a farm bill extension. Uh, and it, it, a number of these things that we already know about could be packaged together. As we saw, a stopgap funding bill included an FAA extension and the flood insurance extension. So there will probably be some very, very big, very important pieces of legislation. And if you're a lawmaker looking for your pet project to catch a ride on the train, those are your two big chances. That was Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick speaking with me on the morning of Tuesday, October 3rd from the U.S. House of Representatives. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.